watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we have three movies for you. Fifty Shades Free, A Fantastic Woman, and The Cloverfield Paradox. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Um, hey, Jason, what's up? Well, Rebecca, here we are again. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a little while mm -hmm. uh, since we taped a new episode. Mm -hmm. And uh, guys, we miss all of you. And, uh, and we're excited to be here. We actually, this week, are going to be reviewing the first theatrical screening that we saw in 2018. We will. Uh, or that I saw, actually, uh, unfortunately, since guests were not permitted. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's all happening. And uh, one thing that has happened since Rebecca and I last sat here uh, is the Oscar nominations came out. Mm -hmm. Which uh, feels like ancient history at this point, but in reality, it was probably just about two weeks ago uh, that they came out. Maybe three. I, don't know. I have no idea. You're like, don't look to me for this. Yeah, I need you to educate can't me. Confirm, can't deny. Uh, but the fact that the Oscar nominations have come out and the Oscars have not yet actually happened means that we are still within the grace period in which we can discuss those nominations because this is a movie podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for better or worse. Yeah, uh, contrary to what some of our reviews think. Uh, <laughs> from you know alias uh oh, what was that muffin person oh yeah i don't like i don't remember the name mad muffins uh something sad muffins muffins was not a fan no uh but we're a fan of muffins um even though i'm off carbs so <laughs> so oscar nominations 2018 uh looking svelte by the way just want to say oh, thank you well i am wearing a very form-fitting black paula cole t-shirt where Paula she Cole. isn't that form looking. So no. if anything, by comparison. It is. That's, I always say, wear a shirt with a picture of an uglier person than you on it. Mm -hmm. And you will look better by comparison. We should make uh, t-shirts for our show. Oh, yeah. Uh, of like just us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, hey, everyone. Our listeners are better looking than we are. So here's a picture of your, your old pals, Rebecca and Jason, to boost your dating cue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, Paula Cole did not design this t-shirt. She just happens to be on it. It is a, <laughs> it is a bonus perk that I got for, um, pledging to support her latest album, <laughs> Ballads, because if you are a woman who performed at Lil's Fair at any point in the 90s, and if you release an album today, and if you take donations to support the funding of that album, I will be one of the pledgers. That's so funny because I met someone this week who I think falls into all three of those categories. Um, she performed a Lilith Fair, she said. She's still making albums today, and I, I mean, I'm sure she's taking donations. Um, she was part of my corporate retreat. And, uh, and, <laughs> and, and what was the, uh, the, the, the nature of the retreating that she was leading you in? Um, that's an excellent question. It was like a workshop where you end up making like a song, you like learn how to Good question. You learn how to play a couple chords in the ukulele, and you learn how to. She gives you some vocal warming exercises, and mm. she writes some notes. I don't know. It was a thing. Did they provide ukuleles, or was they it, did or actually? They provided ukuleles. It was not BYOU. You not BYOU. You got to take them home. 
Oh, so you actually got to keep the ukulele. You got to keep the ukulele. What kind of like ukulele provider do they have that like getting them wholesale from? Here's they the just thing. Hand them out. Big ukulele is trying to get like in big, on the ground floor big with uke corporations. Is invading tech. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she said she was from Lola Fair, and I at first I was like, oh, and mm-hmm. then I was like, oh. Now you were now, like C stage at uh, like the Buffalo version of Lola Fair, and, she's, and probably the third one. She's like, actually, my name is Jewel. <laughs> and uh, you might know some of my songs. You're like, I don't think so. Mm, no, think not so. familiar. No. Um, and another funny thing about the, this Paula Cole shirt that I'm wearing, uh, aside from the obvious, is that it is the cover image of her latest album, Ballads, and the image itself is an homage to the cover of Miles Davis. Yes, uh, it kind, is. Kind of Blue cover. Yeah. Um, but then after she already released it and like pressed the vinyl and put it all out there into the world... There was an outcry amongst her fans that she was appropriating a black artist. Sure, yeah. And um, and she, being Paula Cole, like took that very seriously, very immediately, and like sure. basically stopped all. So this is like a bootleg Rare. racist Paula Cole shirt. That I'm <laughs> and uh, <laughs> added to the collection. Yes, and plus it makes me look thinner. So really, it's a win across the board. <laughs> Guys, Oscar nominations. <laughs> uh, so first, I have some fun stats. Uh, about some of the nominees. Uh, there were some some historic nominations this year, uh, one of which is uh, Yance Ford, who is the director of a nominated documentary called Strong Island, is the first ever openly trans filmmaker to be nominated really? for an Oscar. Uh, good so for them. Good for, tra- good for Yance Ford. Uh, Calling by Your Name nominee Timothy Chalamet is now the second youngest Best Actor nominee ever after Mickey Rooney who was mm. only 19 when he was nominated for the movie Babes in Arms 78 years ago. Uh, so Tenet Chalamet, I believe, is 22, not 12, as his body might suggest. Have you seen Babes in Arms? I have not, um, but I've seen... It makes me think of watching Army Hammer hold Timothy Chalamet, because <laughs> he's a little baby in them big man arms. Uh, same film, going by your name, James Ivory, uh, famed filmmaker who wrote that screenplay, uh, he would become the oldest winner in that category, which he is favored to win because he is 89. He uh, finally shook off that anchor of Merchant. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> Were they holding him down this whole time? I think that was his partner. I know. <laughs> Sometimes the best, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's life after, life after love, really. Um, it's, it's, Do you believe in it? I, I mean, I've been known to, but it's been challenged recently. Uh, Meryl, good old Meryl, extended her record for uh, the most ever acting nominations from a 20 to 21, uh, wow. which is just gratuitous. Uh, Christopher Plummer is now the oldest acting nominee ever, um, beating fucking Gloria Stewart. So now we can just forget all about her entirely from Titanic, mm. uh, who was 87 at the time of that bullshit nomination that she got for just toddling to the edge of the ship and going like, oh, and dropping the necklace. Uh First ever woman to be nominated for Best Cinematography, Rachel Morrison for Mudbound. Wow. First ever. Wow. That's horrifying. Amazing for her, but what? How? Huh? So there's that. (laughs) Uh, Another Oscar glutton, John Williams, extended his record for the most nominations for any living person. Wow. From 50 to 51. With his nomination for The Last Jedi, because John, John Williams can could just, like, record himself farting and just, like, play it at regular intervals over a movie, and he would get nominated in that category. 
MJB, Mary J. Blige, is the first nominee to score acting and song nominations in the same year, which infuriated Barbara Streisand, who is now on the warpath. Uh, <laughs> and uh, related to your love of basketball, Kobe Bryant is now an Oscar nominee. For what? Uh, oh. He actually was uh, the female Producer? lead in... No, he, uh, <laughs> he actually was Lady Bird. No, he, he, it was uh, the story of um, Larry, was, yeah. Larry Bird. What, what, people, what people don't was, know about Lady Bird is that it actually is an homage to White Girls, the Wayne Brothers movie. And it was supposed actually, to be called Larry Bird, and it was supposed to be performed by Kobe Bryant. He was like, oh, I'm in the wrong set. I guess I just got to stick it out and make but this it work. And, and now people think he's Laurie Metcalf. But uh, <laughs> no, he is uh, nominated for an animated short called Dear Basketball. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> so there's an animated short called Dear Basketball. There you go. Uh, Greta Gerwig is the fifth woman ever to be nominated for Best Director. Jordan Peele is the fifth black person ever to be nominated for Best Director. Jordan Peele, also the tallest person ever nominated for Best Director. <laughs> the tallest person? Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that true? Nope. <laughs> I, want, I want to have a stat. You have all these stats. I wanted a stat. Uh, Get Out, uh, as expected, was nominated for Best Picture. And also shortest title for Best Picture. I think that might be true. And it is one of only six films that have ever been nominated for Best Picture that are horror adjacent. In Let's there. see. Um, Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um. and it's five sequels. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, and, uh, it's, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real crazy race. Of course, and there were some, there were some snubs, uh, mm. that were, that were heartbreaking, uh, in particular in supporting actress, uh, because Holly Hunter mm -hmm. did not get nominated for the big sick, which we at the binge are, are, are very upset about up in arms. And Furious. also, and Tiffany Haddish also, who was always kind of a long shot, but I think we were all as a country hoping that she would pull it off. I think that movie, I just realized that that movie is the one I want to own. That's mm. the movie I want, I like right now, I'm having a rough day, I want to watch it. Yeah. That's that movie. Yeah. I want to like know all the lines oh, yeah. and like be like, have a speed dial pizza and then have that movie saved uh, so I don't even need internet to watch it. Ugh. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, it is a great film, a great performance. Unfortunately, it was not recognized. And we're talking about Girls Trip. Yes. Uh, and, and there was, yeah, Phantom Thread got a lot more love than we here on this podcast predicted. Uh, when on our very last episode, I very repeatedly and loudly and wrongly ultimately said it would never, ever have <laughs> any shot whatsoever outside of Best Actor. Rebecca, your instincts were right on that uh, because you were like, had not seen the film, but you were like, this feels like a Best Picture nominee. Absolutely. And I'm like, it ain't. And there we are now. Not going to happen. Uh, so guys, go with Rebecca's instincts, not mine, on this kind of thing. How did Shape of Water do? Shape of Water, uh, earned 13 nominations, wow. which is one shy of the all-time record. I saw an amazing tweet yesterday where it was, um, someone said, um, someone called Shape of Water Grinding Nemo, and I can't stop thinking oh. about that. <laughs> I also saw on Twitter yesterday that there is now, uh, someone has, uh, made a dildo that is meant oh, to yeah. be, yes, the monster's penis. And the screenwriter retweeted it and said that's not what he ever intended. Mm -mm, no. And whether that whether he means for his character to inspire a dildo or whether he means like that's not at all what the penis looks like. I, uh, I would think. Well, yeah, I don't know what he, what his intention was. Hard to say. Based hard on how say. they described it, I didn't think it was the same. No, 
Okay, so after discussing um, Grinding Nemo, we discovered we needed a little bit more uh, calibration on the way we sounded, and hopefully this uh, is a little bit better for everyone. Yeah, guys, because we, we are coming to you from not a new studio, but a newly refurnished studio. It looks amazing. Oh, gosh, guys, we got a new desk, we got new chairs. Literally every single episode of this show you've ever heard until this one was recorded with me sitting on a very, very uncomfortable wooden chair. Mm-hmm, and I had to sit on the ground. <laughs> it was a weird power dynamic. Rebecca sat on a pile of phone books. Uh, <laughs> and we've come up in the world. And uh, and now hopefully we won't. Hopefully we'll make the show better and not worse. Because, you know, sometimes discomfort makes better art. Mm. And now we're going to be too comfortable and we'll get lazy. Fat and lazy. Uh, and how that will affect the show, time will tell. Man, how lazy do you have to be to make a movie podcast to begin with? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're already in that wheelhouse. Like, I don't want to, like, read books or write reviews. I just right. want to watch yeah. something and talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. We're way too lazy to actually put pen to paper. Mm-mm. And so we just kind of sit here carping at each other. Or finger to keyboard. <laughs> so... Anyway back to oscar noms for a for a hot sec uh while the acting categories this year are more or less all locked up uh Uh jason and i just found we can play footsie with this new desk we literally as i was saying that our feet found one another and began to caress each other and uh it was it was a nice moment but uh Guys, so the acting categories this year, the winners seem more or less locked up. Best Actor, Gary Oldman. Well, actually, no, not all of them, because Best Actress is kind of a, is still a toss-up. What, what are our options? Well, so our nominees are Frances McDormand. Mar- oh, nominees. Okay, use the jargon. Uh, Margot, I like options. Margot Robbie. Uh, Saoirse Ronan. Uh, oh, God, I wasn't prepared for this. I, I, uh, 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 who else is in there? Oh, my God. This is embarrassing. Uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so basically, Francis McDormand said, uh, oh, so Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water, the movie we were just discussing, and Meryl for The Post. Uh, now it came back to me. So, and you would think Francis McDormand would be the front runner, but then at the, at the Screen Actors Guild oh. Awards, she actually explicitly said in her speech, like, vote for someone else for the Oscar. You know, one of these younger girls might like having a fancy doorstop too. I already have one. Uh, so what a peach. whether that actually influences the vote, we'll see. Uh, supporting actor looking locked up for Sam Rockwell, supporting actress for Alice and Janney. But Picture is a wild, wild story this year because there are really no movies that meet the usual criteria. Uh, so for instance, um, a SAG ensemble nomination, uh, as we discussed previously, mm-hmm. the only movies this year that received that. Um, that are nominated were uh, that are major contenders are Three Billboards, Get Out, and Lady Bird. Uh, and no movie has won Best Picture without that, that, that nomination in 22 years. A bunch of the movies nominated don't have a director nomination. And only two films in 85 years won Best Picture without a director nomination. Uh, Dunkirk, no film has won Best Picture without any performance or screenplay nominations since the movie Grand Hotel 85 years ago. And then Lady Bird and Get Out, uh, despite meeting most of those criteria, didn't get a Best Editing nomination. And usually there's a strong correlation between editing and Best Picture. So it's really a fucking toss-up. Wow, that's Uh, that's a way to take the fun out of movies. (laughs) (laughs) It's what I'm here to do. Crunch that data. Um, Uh, It is. No, no, it's wild, though. Like, whatever, whatever movie wins Best Picture will make some kind of history. 
in terms of just the way you can usually uh, go with these things. This it's, is going to really throw off your uh, the way you dominate your office pool with all your... Uh, I know. When you're over there, what are you moneyballing it? Truly, yeah. Truly. Which hadn't won an Oscar since. You know, which is, which is the only reason they call me the Jonah Hill of the office, uh, or at least that's what they say. But <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the hardcore nerdery of the stats behind this year's Oscars. Uh, but, you know, I think we are happy about most of the nominations. And uh, we can't wait to see who wins. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rebecca, for uh-huh. that. Yeah, for, for no, sorry, work came up. Um, no. And it's done. Um, so that is what's up with us. Yes. <laughs> Should we start? I hope you enjoyed that very deep dive into our personal lives. Yeah, uh, getting, yeah, tell me when to hold back, really. I feel like I'm I just will. spilling the guts over here. Um, should we start talking about the movies of the moment? Why not? This is our Valentine's Day episode. Oh, yeah. Is this also our 100th episode? <laughs> At the moment? Inside joke, guys. Our <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, first movie of the week is one um, that I saw the second one last year. Jason saw the third one this year on his own. And you watched the first one after you watched the second I one. I did. And um, I believe it made you want to take back your review of the second did. one. It did. It made me want to take back which, my eyes. Which <laughs> we are talking about the newest movie in the in the trilogy, which is Fifty Shades Freed. Weird name for a movie about marriage. Believing they've left behind shadowy figures from the past, billionaire Christian Grey and his new wife, Anastasia, fully embrace their inextricable connection and shared life of luxury. Just as the Greys begin to step into their new roles, sinister events come to light and jeopardize their happy ending before it even begins. Good morning, wife. Husband. Don't ask me. Mrs. Gray, look out your window. What you know is true. I'm taking you away for the weekend. I just can't believe this is my life that I get to live with you. Oh, I love your precious heart. That meant nothing to me before you. Did you get any cool accessories when you were at the movie? Last time I saw this, uh, I saw the second one. They gave me these like VR, this like VR cardboard thing that you put together, and then when you put it on, it looked like I was wearing a very sexy mask, like a seductress. Did you get one of those? I brought one back for you. We were both wearing them. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah, no. This time, the only gift they gave us was the gift of this being the last one of these mm-hmm. movies. It keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a gift that I'm grateful for. Are you all caught up? Did you end up seeing the second one? I did eventually, yes. Um, I watched it with some some dear friends uh, back in Pennsylvania when I was there last September. Uh, so I saved it up to watch with them because there are some diehard Fifty Shades fans in that group. And uh, so I did witness that second movie. And so I felt more or less I was as ready as I was going to be uh, to come in and watch Fifty Shades Freed, which is from all apparent signs the final movie in this strange weird trilogy of movies so last time we talked about this we discussed um how a lot of criticism about this movie it's almost like our lena dunham argument right mm. where it's like the criticism of this movie um while it may be valid uh, is unfair often because it's just a repercussion of uh, misogyny and, and and the culture making fun of, of women 
exploring their sexuality. Well, yeah, and like the voice in the voices of criticism so often being male voices for so long, just a right. homogeneously unified monolithic male voice and a male voice that decided what is good and what is bad and decided that, you know, like this, you know, certain genres are noble and respectable and others are not. And uh, and so, you know, genres that are traditionally thought of as being mm-hmm. for women uh, such as romance uh, are written off as silly and ridiculous and of a lesser quality. And uh, so I think it's, yeah, it's always good to keep that in mind whenever a topic like this comes up. With that all said, movie I think, is shit. <laughs> with that all said, Shades is just genuinely terrible uh, as a book series and as a film series. Um, but, you know, it is, uh, it is still worth noting that. And, and honestly, Watching it now in a post-Weinstein landscape, mm. the the overwhelming focus on consent has never been more relevant. Interesting. Yeah, because, you know, the whole thing with the, you know, the S&M relationship between Christian and Anna is that, you know, like any good, respectful BDSM relationship, it, it, it hinges entirely on communication, very, very clear communication about consent. Right. And yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things that we as a country and men in particular have really struggled with post Weinstein is this conversation around like, well, what what does consent really mean? And what would it look like to ask for consent? Mm-hmm. Uh, since, you know, it's the kind of thing that I think most guys are, you know, more used to just kind of trying to rush into almost like you're getting away with something mm-hmm. uh, like, oh, you'll you'll you you're not stopping me. <laughs> OK, <laughs> we're doing this. So uh, so, the, the you know, the movie does suddenly have a greater um, relevance and uh, and meaning than it did previously. So it is the unlikely beneficiary of, uh, mm-hmm. of the moment mm-hmm. that we have found ourselves in these past five months. So what, what happens to these crazy kids this time around? <laughs> oh, well. Uh, so Christian and Anna are married now. And, uh, but they're about to find out that, you know, marriage sucks <laughs> yeah, in, in, in as many, well, the funny thing is, so yeah, so they're, they're, they find out that it's not always happily ever after just because you're married. And, uh, but I was, I, I wrote that down and I was like, yeah, such as, and I try to think of things the movie does that like backs that up. And I couldn't think of many. Um, this is a really scattershot movie. It's incredibly choppy. It's really... Uh, when I was walking out of the theater, I heard another guy describe it as quite literally just a series of scenes with no relationship to one another. And that is accurate. Uh, Kyle Buchanan wrote the hottest of hot takes article about this on Vulture in which he described mm. this movie as memento with butt plugs. And, um, and he, <laughs> and he discussed how basically no five minute chunk of this movie has any relationship to any other five, ch- five minute chunk of the movie. Oh wow! It goes five minutes in with one scene and then it just starts over. Uh, and then it goes five minutes in and that starts over and then it goes five minutes in and so on. So, uh, which he, in a very sort of, an- uh, anarchist way was saying, made the film amazing. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then said some dumb things. He was like, you know, don't any critic who says the movie is boring or bad is not a critic to be trusted. And I'm like, okay, Kyle, it is still a very boring and very bad movie. Uh, but I appreciate your hot take. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so a series of sort of things happen in terms of Christian and Anna, there seems to be tension between them because Anna resists changing her name, uh, which he, you know, being a Dom wants her to take his last name. And she's like, but Christian, I've worked so hard from my publishing world success. And I am just Anastasia to them. I'm Anna Steele. Don't make me be Anna Gray. And he's like, you're my wife and you will be Anna Gray. 
uh, his accent slips, Jamie Dornan's accent slips a few times in this movie. He was, he's just done. He's just ready to be done. I feel like the, the title Fifty Shades Freed, um, more than anything, speaks to how excited Jamie Dornan and Dakota Johnson be must be to be free from their contract <laughs> and to be free to embark upon a similar artistic redemption tour that Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson embarked on mm. once they were done with Twilight. Um, although at least Jimmy Dornan and Nicole Johnson never had to pretend to be in a relationship and openly hate each other. Mm, so good point. So there is that. So yeah, so there's conflict like Anna not wanting to take Christian's last name and then Christian maybe getting even more possessive now that Anna is his bride in addition to being his bottom. So, uh, you know, so there's lots of like Christian showing up at the office and being like, you're talking to a handsome author and I won't stand for it. So, uh, but yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of, you know, honeymoon lazing about and luxury. Uh, but then the main conflict comes in the form of a character from the second film, Jack Hyde, who may have been the first film too. I don't remember, I don't remember. but he was Anna's boss and oh, right. he turned out to be psychotic. I think it's just the first one. Oh, the second one rather. Yeah. And he was like, so he was like psychotic and she basically like took him down and he got was sent to jail. Yeah, I mean that was a that was an interesting thing and I, I think that was one of the things that about the second movie when I first reviewed it mm-hmm. um the fact that that like predator didn't win and was called out um mm-hmm. was one of the things I liked about it. Yeah, and that also takes on I don't uh, uh in this movie they talk more about what he had done because it, he he emerges as still very much a threat uh in this third film. And, uh, and they talk about one of the things that he had done was he would basically, uh, sort of seduce all these different women that he worked with, um, and then like record them and then blackmail them into working for him and doing his bidding. Mm. So he emerges as a very Weinsteinian kind of villain. Mm -hmm. So again, I was like, well, how about this? This movie has fully, this movie has failed upward into being (laughs) super relevant and into somehow being politically on point. So whoever would have thunk, but so so Jack Hyde shows up and uh, and he at first he is caught like on camera in Christian Gray's business headquarters for whatever it is that Christian Gray does and is like trying to sabotage. But then he shows up in their home and attempts what? to and, and attempts to kidnap Anna at knife point. Um, but the thing is that Christian has a nonstop security detail yeah. on Anna. And so these two security guards come out and they, you know, catch him and they bust him, whatever. Um, and so then they are in court about this, what he has done, because he gets arrested. And at his arraignment, uh, the judge somehow decides to grant him bail, even though there were literally two eyewitnesses that saw him with a knife to Anna's throat attempting to kidnap her. He is somehow able to say, like, I, I just dropped in. Um, and, <laughs> I thought this was a knife party. And, and... She, and she acted all crazy, you see. And she tried to stab me and I told the knife away from her. And so so it was just, it, it, it strains credulity, uh, this particular Does it, scene. <laughs> Does it? Well, it's hard to say. Well, you would think that if you had the testimony of these two security guards who are like, we were there, we saw it. He had his arm around her throat and a knife to her neck. That would be enough to not grant the guy bail because he is still a, a threat to this person. I feel like you're right. And probably in the storyline, um, it's it was a stretch. But I feel like in the real world, like rich white dudes get away with like no bail mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. No, uh, I, I see your point. Uh, it, it, it felt a little... It was one of one of several moments in the movie where I was like, mm-hmm. uh, so anyway, so then Jack is still out and about and, you know, and is not to be deterred. 
and uh and it kind of it, it it all builds to what i guess is the climax of the movie uh which it involves him uh and i don't even care if this is a spoiler um <laughs> it involves him so poor rita ora uh you know mm, has been yeah. in, has been in these all three of these movies and for probably a grand total of about 45 seconds of screen time and uh <laughs> and in this film uh she gets to have a role in the big finish because she is kidnapped by uh, by Jack, and then Jack tells Anna that she needs to bring fifty million dollars or five million or some millions, and uh, you know to in exchange for Rita Ora. And they yeah. all ignore the message and just go to go back on vacation. <laughs> they just start go, the banging again. <laughs> um, and uh, and so and the funniest part of this is that when the when Jack is on the phone with Anna, telling her that he has Rita Ora. Um, he texts her a photo of Rita Ora, like, bound and gagged in this chair. And it's just this hilariously, mm. like, posed photo of Rita Ora, like, looking scared. <laughs> just like, it's just, a, it's just Rita Ora calmly sitting in a chair with, like, a, you know, uh, you know, a rope across her mouth and her eyes wide, like, eh. Uh, and then... So that's going to be your... It's going to be my background. Okay. I think it might be, it might be my new phone background image. It, it did elicit... A, a, a lengthy cackle from a number of folks in our crowd at the screening. <laughs> There's just something hilarious about that shot of Rita Ora bound and gagged in that chair. Uh, so, and then it's just kind of resolves and then it's over. And, and it was like, Oh, okay, well, I guess we're done. It, it, the hilarious thing is the tagline for this movie um, quite cheekily is don't miss the climax. Mm, and then, and then you watch the movie and you're like, I think I missed the climax. <laughs> I may have actually missed it. It may have. It may have come and gone. Maybe the person who made the tagline is just like, like rolling in it. They are just. They're just like rolling with the joke. Well, hilarious thing is, a publicist told me that uh, all along, from the very first of one of these movies, they were always told from the studio that like, do not do anything smutty or overly sexual with the promotion of this movie. Don't work with any sort of like local like sex toy stores. We don't, this is a very classy project that you have to stay classy. You cannot do anything like sexual in terms of partnerships locally to promote this movie. And then, and then the third movie comes out and the tagline is don't miss the climax. Mm-hmm. So they're like, cool. Glad that, that you really stuck up with that classiness narrative that you want to hold on to. Uh, oh, another, another specter that looms over the steel gray marriage is that Anna wants to get pregnant and Christian pulls a Jenna Maroney and <laughs> is very threatened by the fact that this baby might take attention away from him, mm. which there's, I mean, what's more hot than a guy being threatened by a baby. Right. Uh, right. it is, it is, uh, it is as good as it gets masculinity wise, but you know, the movie still has a lot of banging. Uh, you know, there's a lot of play jeans. There's there's a lot of you know very unselfconscious tits from Ms. Johnson and Jamie Dornan gives you some pubes and some clenched butts. They pleasure each other with ice cream. It's pretty much what you would expect. Same. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know, so there's all those things. And Dakota Johnson, as usual, just sort of like fully acts circles around Jamie Dornan. Um. Although I was noticing. That she has this, she has this sort of like this breathy coquette voice that she puts on when mm-hmm. she's saying like the absolute most insipid and vapid lines. And it's almost like, I feel like it's like a way for her to protect herself <laughs> so that she can like get through saying these lines and not like just like shoot herself at the end of them. <laughs> so she'll be like, you know, she'll be like just talking in a normal voice and then she'll be like, 
well, maybe you should tie me down, Christian. Uh, <laughs> and it is a ridiculous thing. But, you know, I still have to give it credit for just being uh, an American movie that has sex in it. Yeah. Because that just doesn't happen. We don't mm-hmm. have American movies with sex in them. Do you think it's, a, as a married man, do you think it's an accurate portrayal of married life? I saw a lot of myself and Scott in this marriage, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, like we also had a dispute about changing our last names. Uh, we also regularly fight about pregnancy. Right. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, he's been known to show up at my office in a jealous rage. Uh, (laughs) and, uh, and, and, and yeah. And then there's, um, you know, every now and then like, you know, some terrifying new butt plug will be introduced and, you know, and that's just kind of marriage. So, you know, like way to go. Fifty Shades, I guess you nailed it. Fifty Shades, I guess you nailed it. That's going to be the next one. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Oh, Anybody's interested. Shit. Um, what are you giving this one? This is a send it back. This is, this is just dismal. Uh, it's. I, I mean, like I, I, I appreciate Kyle Buchanan's perspective on this as, uh, as, as a, a sort of like a almost an art piece. On it's like an anti movie. Uh, in some ways, um, but it is it, it just like it sets things up without paying them off. Uh, it, it's it's there's no consistency through it. Uh, I, I I really am amazed to picture how this movie was ever like a narrative book uh, because there's not really much narrative to it. I mean that it seems and, it was similar to the second one um, as well, where it's just like they man they manufactured so much like. Um, air quote suspense mm-hmm. from these like really unbelievable storylines when right. the fact that like he's so rich and the the complications of this um uh bdsm relationship are enough to carry the movie right. that's always been enough yeah and that's the amazing thing about this movie too is that like since now the the, the actual story of 50 shades which is anna and christian and their love has like already basically reached its natural end at the beginning of the movie, which is they got married. That's it. It's like, that's it. That's where it ends. That's where life ends. And so (laughs) this is when their souls die. And so it's like, what more is there to do? And it's like, oh, okay. What, what more there is to do is to tack on this completely repetitive rehash of the storyline of the second movie. Right. So it's like, okay, so like we're done with the romance. So now we'll just tack on this sort of like half-hearted suspense thriller. Um, so we like, like you realize, you realize in this, in the story that you're taking on this, this big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like this whole, you know, um, right. this whole, the nature of their relationship. Um, and it's just weird enough. It's just so weird that pe- that they thought that there needed to be so many interlopers and yeah. really outrageous threats to them because the threat of them has always just been themselves. <laughs> they are the greatest threat that each of them faces. And, uh, and the whole thing really continues to exist as a testament to how Sam Taylor Johnson really and truly made the best possible movie that could have been made out of these books with the first film in this series mm, yep. before nightmare monster creature E.L. James had her removed and had James Foley installed to direct parts two and three because he wouldn't fight any of her stupid fucking ideas uh, about how her book should be adapted. So yeah. Jason has no feelings about this. The, the first, yeah. I mean, the first movie is about the relationship and that's what the whole thing should have been about. And then there's just hacky, hacky fucking, you know, contrived suspense introduced for a conflict and none of it tracks or makes sense or feels remotely organic. And, um, and so now these things hopefully can be done, even though as we record this, it is Sunday of the opening weekend of the film. 
and it uh, it did break. I think it's the biggest opening weekend of just the year so far. It didn't break like a February record, mm. but of the year, it's the biggest grosser. And then um, <laughs> I do mean what's the gross and grosser. But hopefully, fingers crossed, this will be the last time we watch one of these movies. It's rated R for strong sexual content, nudity, and language. And that brings us to our second movie of the week, A Fantastic Woman, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. Marina, a trans waitress and singer, and Orlando, an older man, are in love and planning for the future. After Orlando suddenly falls ill and dies, Marina is forced to confront his family and society and to fight again to show them who she is. Complex, strong, forthright, fantastic. So this one is in Spanish. So we don't have a trailer for you today. Um, Parati. <laughs> insufferable. Como se dice insufferable in Espanol? Insufferible. Oh, there we go. Um, this is one we saw, I saw it a while ago. How about you? Uh, yeah, I initially saw this in Toronto last September, and then uh, and then I watched it again with some friends about a week ago. Oh, that's yes. nice. So it's fresh in my memory. I thought we were reviewing this movie like three times before we did. I was so excited every week that I was like, oh, it's we're going to... And then uh, so then it didn't show up. Yes, yeah. Um, in protest. Yes. <laughs> Call me so, when Fantastic so Woman opens. That's basically what she did. <laughs> we had several I'm here today episodes, for one reason. We had several episodes that were scrapped. And for each of those episodes, Rebecca thought we were going to be reviewing a fantastic woman <laughs> because that's the only movie that she would watch. <laughs> she watched it several times, despite my explicit notes that that was not going to be a movie we were watching that week. <laughs> and several screeners offered up in its place. I want to see it again. I really enjoyed this movie. Um, okay, so what do we have here? What, what was the movie recently we compared this to? Oh, it was um, the German movie. Um, oh, yeah, it was in, in The Fade. In The Fade. Yes. Uh, which we also we gave a, a pretty good um, review to. We did another movie with someone who has to deal with loss. Uh, um, a woman facing yes, and on a journey of of uh, yeah, grief and loss and and uh, and trying to reach for some kind of closure, which is hard enough in the world, right? Um, but with complicating factors, and in, in the fade, the factors being that uh, her husband and son were killed by white supremacists. And uh, and her husband's past and nationality made him suspicious to the authorities. Her own um, small issues with with drug use. Yes, yes. And uh, and in a fantastic woman, we have Marina, played by uh, a brilliant trans actress named Daniela Vega, making her screen debut. Uh, the issue here is that, in addition to needing to prove herself as the significant other of her departed partner to that man's family who think of her as his other woman. She also has to prove herself as literally just a woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what we have here is a story that were it not for the trans aspect would be fairly, uh, a fairly sort of unremarkable familiar melodrama about like the other woman. Uh, So we have a, this older gentleman, Orlando, left his wife of many years uh, to be with Marina. And, uh, and he uh, has uh, an adult son. Uh, and basically, his whole family is very against Marina. Uh, and so a lot of the conflict in the film comes from their attempts to now erase her 
to A, just invalidate any relationship he had with Orlando, and then to erase her from all of the end-of-life ceremony, not allow her to come to the funeral, not allow her to have any contact with them, uh, not allow her to stay in the apartment that she shared with the the man she loved. Um, It's right at the very beginning, uh, Marina, right from the very first night that she goes with her partner to take him to the hospital when he starts to have chest pains while they're in bed together. Uh, she starts being basically interrogated and criminalized mm-hmm. by the people who work at the hospital. And then suddenly the cops are involved and everyone is insisting on misgendering her uh, because her ID has not been updated yet. She does not yet have um, you know, a female ID. And, uh, and so everywhere that she turns in this film... Uh, she just experiences more and more uh, sort of additional resistance and complication to what is already a, a, a horrible, horrible moment in her life. And there's even a, a portion at the beginning where, you know, she's taking him to the hospital. Um, basically, it's like a heart attack situation is mm-hmm. what I would you gather. And once uh, the people at the hospital start start to kind of figure out what's going on and who she is... Um, she becomes uh, like a suspect mm-hmm. um, like in taking him to the hospital he um, like he falls down the stairs and so he gets some like facial abrasions and so all of a sudden they're looking at this like you know maybe possible possibly just like a, a sex hookup gone mm-hmm. wrong you know uh, robbery right, murder like, type situation yeah, like she's like some sort of violent sex worker who right. you know tried beating up her john to get money out of him or something mm-hmm. and meanwhile she's just trying to you know work as a waitress and right and a singer and a singer, um, and then has to kind of deal with, you know, the factors that, that other uh, relationships would not have to deal with. Yes. Uh, this is, that's what's really remarkable about this film, which is written and directed by Sebastian Livio. This is one of our uh, Chilean favorites. It is. It's right up there with Night Terrors. <laughs> uh, it is, what's remarkable about it is the way that it sort of introduces, it gives you a story, it gives the audience a story that already would be compelling from an emotional mm-hmm. point of view. And then it also functions as a way of helping the audience understand the trans experience, mm-hmm. uh, where you know something that no and under no other circumstances, if she had been a cis woman and she had showed up at the hospital uh, with her with her husband, and if he was having a heart attack and then he died, then you know what she would experience was just utter complete like offerance of of, of solace and of compassion. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and mercy. This just reminds me so much of the uh, first section from If These Walls Could Talk Too, mm-hmm. where that li- that literally is a parallel. Vanessa Redgrave um, is in the hospital with her partner. It's the part that takes place in the 60s. Her partner's dying, and um, and she's seated next to a woman whose husband is also in the hospital uh, for a heart attack. And the way that the one that that woman is treated versus the way Vanessa Redgraves is treated is mm-hmm. it's just so the, the, it's so clear. It's it's impossible to see then how mm-hmm. it find then the house they had bought together, how right. that's no longer hers, how her family treats her as a friend and and, and yeah. erases her um, or minimizes her pain as like oh you mm-hmm. lost your friend in right. a very patronizing way. Um, yeah, but I mean, that was sort of a buried HBO special that, uh, that, that unfortunately, that, that still makes me cry just thinking about it. That we're really fighting to keep alive here on the show. Do my best. Uh, but no, yeah, they're both these, you know, sort of great testimonies of the way that the queer experience is invalidated and minima- minimized to the point that, you know, uh, that these characters are living out the most hellish, painful nightmare of their lives. And they're doing it in, in public, in plain sight, but no one will look at it. No one will acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, no one will validate what's happening to them. Right. You're, you know, you're concerned about, you know, bathroom bill. 
But then mm. that takes no consideration for someone who's, you know, in a relationship and then their you know, their partner needs help and yeah. uh, or is in the hospital dying and they can't can't be there. Right. Um, yeah. The, the flip side of that, that um, paranoid coin. This is a story that is, gives you just that kind of it just helps if you are not if you're not already plugged into the humanity of the trans community. This is a story that will that will connect you to that. The actress who plays Marina um, handles the situation with such strength um, and instills such vulnerability um it, it's mm-hmm. it's such a moving performance yeah um and, it, and it's uh interspersed with these little moments of uh, these little surreal moments um her fighting the wind a mm-hmm. uh, small breakout to like a little like a music uh, yeah music video scene within a in the nightclub with that they're just delightful that move that scene in the nightclub mm-hmm. just we've all been there paused mm-hmm. i was so paused um i think i think about that all the time yeah it's beautiful yeah. No, she's incredible, and uh, and she resembles. Uh, I I always went back and forth on like Selma Blair or Marion Cotillard. Marion Cotillard, I can see that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and uh, and she apparently Daniela Vega was brought on initially as a consultant on this movie. Hmm. Um, and then uh, and then the director started to realize like, oh, she actually might have the chops to pull this off. And uh, and boy does she. Yeah, it's uh, really amazing. But it's really and it's a it's a gorgeous film, just as a film about somebody trying to find closure mm-hmm. uh, because in the fade since we're comparing it to that is more about the search for justice mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the search for revenge ultimately uh, and what that might mean but a fantastic woman there's she's not looking for justice she's not looking for revenge what she wants is closure and what she respect respect she just wants to be acknowledged as existing basically uh, know, there's that whole moment where they you know in order to like exonerate her from any sort of blame she mm-hmm. has to go and like strip naked and yeah. get photos taken it's like mm-hmm. completely dehumanizing with a with moment a, with a cis female police officer in the room who refuses to leave mm-hmm. um and who hounds her at her place of work thus complicating her her job her her personal finance just uh, to be able to not be accused of murdering her lover mm-hmm. um another thing i thought this movie um handled in a really interesting way is that uh, sort of at the beginning you see a lot of bigotry from his family yes um and and so you kind of you know quickly you know paint your picture that they're a bunch of you know um transphobic um terrible people and particularly from his ex-wife and from his son he mm-hmm. has a he has a brother who is very yeah, sympathetic yeah who is the only sympathetic character to marina and and so you you get this picture of these people in your head but then you learn that the the husband orlando had actually been been i think cheating on his wife and in his family mm-hmm. with um with this woman and and then ends up leaving them for her mm-hmm. so i think that it adds a bit of nuance to that whole situation so they're not they're not just this like you know these are bad pe- people with you know bad intent and, and bigotry right. but they were also part of a, a situation that was very painful for them mm-hmm. um yeah they would hate her regardless right right exactly either, yeah, either way they they would they would hate her and they would probably not want her at you know to be around mm-hmm. uh but there's an added you know element right yeah uh, i mean things yeah. devolve as well and right. I, that, and then a very uh in a way that's relevant to to the situation right but so it helps especially and... with the with the wife mm-hmm. though i felt like that yeah. made a lot more sense how she felt um mm-hmm. uh, towards her yeah no absolutely yeah, they're not they're not cartoon villains mm-hmm. right. i mean the, the sun is this pretty, is a little the, bit of a cartoon sun, villain. The sun's a little over the top but also but also all, all too believable right exactly that's that's the world we live in yeah that's a pretty tough pretty tough assault scene mm-hmm. um that involves the sun mm-hmm. 
But uh, ultimately not so tough. No, could be. It could have been a lot worse, I think. So that when, was nice. When the scene begins, you're like, oh boy, this is going into an all too familiar place. It's not a cartoon villain, but Jason's a cartoon reviewer. <laughs> Like, oh boy. Whoa. What's yeah. gonna happen? <laughs> um, <laughs> watching movies with him is a real pain. <laughs> lots of lots of cartoon wolf eye pops. Yeah, and like from me. <laughs> Jason, we're both giving this a binge. It. Am I wrong? Um, you are not wrong about that. No. Uh, and it's rated R for language, sexual content, nudity, and disturbing assault. Um, our last movie of the week is The Cloverfield Paradox. Orbiting a planet on the brink of war, scientists test a device to solve an energy crisis and end up face-to-face with a dark alternate reality. Standing by for your go. Turn that shit on. Fingers crossed. It's gone. It's big, blue, full of angry people. Keep looking, you'll find it. My God. So let me see if I got this right. There you are, Sunday, engrossed in the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the commercial for Cloverfield. (laughs) Paradox. I'll I'll stop you there. Everything you just said is wrong. You were watching the Packers. It actually wasn't football. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Fudge Packers is what I was watching. Um, how, how, if you don't watch, did you learn about it from Twitter? Uh, yeah, I, I learned about it from Twitter uh, and also a series of breaking news emails from Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. But no, I learned about uh on Twitter because, well, the first thing was uh, earlier that day, Ava DuVernay um, sent out the following tweet. Hashtag film Twitter is going to explode tonight. Something is coming that I can hardly believe. Loud, L-E-W-D. History in the making. And wow, was that an overpromise. <laughs> uh, I really hope she's embarrassed uh, about that tweet because that was a ridiculous way to talk up this fucking piece of shit movie. Well, don't you think there's a history in the... In... There was a history in the making, but in, and I'll dive into that. But okay. that was... Okay. That was... Because like, people were like, oh my God, like... Ava DuVernay is saying this like what does this mean this could be amazing and then here's a spin she put on it when the movie came out which is you know uh, she makes it sound so much better than it is Uh, she says woman of color led sci-fi thriller released worldwide day and date with big Netflix muscle for black director his super producer and POC cast no advance press ads trailer straight to the people game changer that's all correct. That is all correct, but it does Don't not... Don't you disagree with Ava DuVernay on but... my watch? <laughs> but it does not take into account uh, the rest of it, which is, here's the thing. Here's <laughs> here's what happened. So Paramount has been working on this movie for a while, and J.J. Abrams was retooling it at length because they knew it was a fucking turkey. Mm. And so what happened was... Rather than just, they they were looking at the movie and they knew that this was not going to perform well in theaters because it was going to get horrible reviews and it just wasn't going to be successful and it would be a huge loss. So what they did, and this is setting a new precedent, this is the precedent, this is the game change, the precedent is... They dumped it? Yeah. Studios can now dump their fucking movies to Netflix and it will be a big story and everyone will watch it. Well, it won't continue to be a big story if they keep doing it. Right. No, I mean, uh, it'll be, yeah, if they put, if they do it right, 
if they have like the element of surprise mm-hmm, it'll be mm-hmm. like uh you know because yeah, it does kind of have like this is like the self-titled Beyonce album of Netflix studio dumps. Yeah, uh, they definitely like took a risk doing the whole Super Bowl ad, same mm-hmm. day and day release. Yeah. So I feel like it's something that the next time people will be suspicious of. And we, unless they knock it out of the park, it's going to lose its the actors power. Did, the actors did not know. Uh, really? They found out with everyone else that this Damn. movie that they had spent a huge chunk of 2016 shooting was now just going to be available on Netflix like that day. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. No one. Yeah. It was something that J.J. Abrams and Paramount and Netflix knew. The cast had no idea. Wow. Uh, that and, seems insane. Yes. And it was a movie that, you know, that people were expecting to I mean, some also, degree. Ava DuVernay knew. Ava DuVernay, yes. Because How she, did because she know? Because Conspiracy. she knows all. She knows all. Um. So, uh, yeah. Or, or at the very least, she found out earlier that same day. Mm-hmm um but uh but yeah so it was all very exciting and then everyone watched it and then it was like this is a very bad movie and then that's when the all the other the, the all the articles started to pop up about that did the research about like well what really happened here and yeah it's this trend of of studios sort of just dumping their bad big budget movies to netflix uh and you know making money from netflix to sell them and then not having to do any kind of not having to pay for a press tour not having to pay for advertising just all the overhead uh, that you have as you release, you just get to just be like, Burp, all done. Interesting. So uh, walk us through what happens in this in this movie, Jason. Oh, I couldn't. Um, <laughs> it is all. Can you please. So it was uh, okay. So here is what I thought was ridiculous up at the very beginning of it, like right off the bat. So we have this sort of interesting prologue where we have um, our girl Gugu and Batha Rao, Gugu, um, sitting in a car uh, with her husband. And we're getting, uh, we're, 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 there's a, this huge traffic jam and we're sort of picking up that they're, you know, through like little bits of voiceover that there's, uh, you know, a giant sort of like semi-apocalyptic energy crisis going on. And, um, and so she and her husband are talking a bit about how she might have to go on this mission about, uh, in, to try to solve this energy crisis that would involve going into space and, um, and, you know, fucking with big science. And, uh. <laughs> Trademark, big and, science. And then, not to be confused with Big Uke. And <laughs> just like that, we are at the beginning of the second act of the movie. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, she's just in space on this spaceship, surrounded by this huge cast of famous actors. There is no exposition whatsoever. Uh, you don't, or you're not introduced to them. You don't see them all come together for the first time. There's not like them having meetings on earth, but uh, preparing to go into space, talking about the mission. It's just there. They're just there now. They're just like, that's no different than the second one, but the second one was amazing. Like you see her, um, you know what? She's like escaping from her boyfriend. And then all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, uh, she's in the, she's in the bunker yes and honest, uh, to be honest i haven't seen the first one yeah i no, want I, to I actually haven't either um uh, but i feel like it's the same kind of well i think the difference though is that uh you know in in the first one that is the first act it doesn't skip a first act like it's it's not mm. like it's not just abruptness it's mm-hmm. like it serves does it serve the story you know it's like in the in in the second film in King cloverfield lane which we loved uh, you know, you, you have this... the best of list from last year. I think it was. That's and, the first, and first, um, 
first binge what's it the oscar said first binge um uh thriller in the best pick uh category of 2017 and glorfield lane it was or the first for, year we did a best of also mm-hmm, for 2016 yeah 2016 and uh and so yeah so in this is this is such a a polar opposite of 10 chlorophyll lane mm-hmm. in every conceivable mm-hmm. way because whereas that film was was super claustrophobic it was so character rich mm-hmm. so detailed so well acted uh so surprising and clever and unexpected um all building up to this 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 just mind-blowing finale uh this has literally zero character development. It has way too many characters. It has like four times. <laughs> they just are uh, coming out of the wall. They literally do. That's one of my notes is, oops, there's some <laughs> bitch in the wall. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they literally like, as if we don't have enough people already standing here and we're looking at them being like, okay, who are you? What's your deal? I mean, they have like different accents and that's the only thing that differentiates them from one another. Here's what I like about that though. Because, and again, I really need to see the first one, but like, I think I have a basic understanding of what it is. They have nothing to do with each other. They have nothing to do with each but other. I, but I like this idea that there's a, there's a thread of an experience that's happening in the world or this dimension or mm. other dimensions. And then you have three really unique circumstances around this, this, this universal situation. So you have mm-hmm. like, and just comparing the second and the last one, you have this like super bottle um, installment, right? Where it's all like with underground in this small room. And then the next one takes you like all the way into this big character and big space. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that in the premise of it. I understand. Right. I, I'm with you on the execution, but I like because the first one was also like, from what I'm gathering, it's like it was kind of medium sized. It was like a group of people right. with in, in a big, in, in a, a big city. environment, right? So, it, but, mm-hmm. but you only followed like a couple of people. Right. So that was like a medium. And then the second was a small. And then this one's like a, yeah, because the first one, I believe, was, the first one, I believe, was like a found footage movie. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, so Which is why I haven't seen it because I get uh, car sick. You get the shakes. I get the shakes. Uh, so, yeah. So in this, we have what feels just like a really, really unremarkable alien knockoff. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Like it is it is so generic uh, and so uh, sort of just a, a dime a dozen knockoff of like, okay, it's it's just like any other movie where you have people on a spaceship and then something weird starts to happen. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, it even has a scene where a man convulses on a table while a living thing explodes from his body. Yeah. Yeah. It that is, was not great. No. Uh, um, it is just, and, and there's no character development at all. And, uh, you know, and so you just kind of have just literally just the personalities of the actors are all you have to distinguish them from one another. Um, and then it does that hacky thing of having like a news broadcast on in the background when they're first cut to them on the ship. So you can sort of figure out that they're they're trying to pull off this really tricky sort of like, you know, uh, you know, I don't even what I don't know what they're trying to do. They're trying well, to. They, do... OK, so they're trying to uh, create this large um, source of energy and they have to do it in space because it's so dangerous. Um, using this something called the uh, it's like the Shepherd Collider. Um, it's basically like one yeah, of those like boson Higgs, Higgs based boson. Oh gosh, here we go, <laughs> and here comes the ignorance. Bosom Bigs. <laughs> they're really trying to they're trying to redo Bosom Buddies, uh, mm-hmm, but in mm-hmm, space, right. and it was a failure. Tom Hanks did not participate. Um, but what they end up doing, um, you know, to uh, much to the chagrin of the person on the on the uh, news broadcast, who's like kind of what you would get to be like a YouTube conspiracy hoax person, mm-hmm. uh, spokesperson. Um, they end up uh, causing a shift in, in time and space, and uh, they cross two realities. The Earth disappears. They cross two dimensions. Um, the Earth disappears, the Earth, and it's like upside down for a moment, and then people from other dimensions start, well, as we've said already, showing up in the walls. <laughs> um, I, I thought that part was interesting. Um, again, like 
you know, in the way that this the series um, is, I, I think for me, science, finger quotes, science. <laughs> uh-huh. she, she's doing them. She's doing them. She's as, not as just though they were it. hooves. Right. Um, is so confusing that I'm like, mm-hmm. I just sit back for the ride on a lot of yeah. it. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Uh, without trying to yeah. you know, think about what what's what could happen or couldn't happen oh no i'm definitely with you on that like i can't even begin to understand it so it wasn't like i was like this is bullshit science um i literally stopped the movie so i could transcribe what what, what like the nerd character was saying um when he they, he was like this when he's talking about what the actual paradoxes mm-hmm. because my mind had wandered was and, that donald Logue? well he wasn't the on the character? ship though yeah donald Logue was like the conspiracy yeah, guy yeah, yeah. On, on youtube Oh, oh! You mean somebody else? Yeah, on the ship. Whenever, oh, the when, German. When, whenever, yeah, the, whenever they're trying to figure out what has happened. Gotcha. And like, where'd Earth go? Who is this bitch in the walls? Uh, when they're trying to figure that out. Um, I want that to be your Halloween costume. <laughs> the bitch in the walls. Yeah, just all these like, wires who, coming out of your skin. Who I should note is played by a great actress, Elizabeth Debicki, who is mm-hmm. one of our great chameleons. Uh, she really reminds me of Andrea Riseborough, but. Uh, so it's one, it's that thing. I always do this. My mind wanders when I'm watching a movie or TV show right at the point that they're about to like say the thing that will explain everything. Mm. And I'm like, Oh, missed it. Uh, and yeah, I still keep <laughs> reviewing still them. Know what Sophie's still choices, keep do you? Re- no, I'm not clear. Not clear. Um, but, uh, I thought it was, um, solids or patterns, but, mm. um, but I couldn't figure that out from watching. So the guy says, and I wrote this down word for word. This is the paradox. Particles interacting with each other across two dimensions, two distinct realities in a multiverse, fighting to occupy the same space, creating chaos. But don't you understand about that? Literally any of it. I I, I wrote it down and I'm looking at it and I'm trying to read through it. And, uh, you so know, let's start I, with multiverses. Right. So you know, I get all of that. But the idea of like particles interacting with each other across, because I think this movie, when it was in production, was called like the God Particle. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it wasn't, I thought it wasn't even supposed to be part of the Cloverfield. It wasn't. Well, same with 10 Cloverfield Lane, when that was originally like, the ending is very abrupt in that movie in a way, because it was kind of the thing that was added to be like, this is that we have to make this officially part of Cloverfield. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could uh, all stand at Wikipedia. Um, what's that called? Is it Boson Higgs? Yeah, that sounds right. Higgs. Yeah, everyone's very scared or you know people have been scared of it right you just you uh, move things so fa- and by things i mean i don't know atoms neutrons know. nuclei uh, so fast that you create energy in in yeah. um i mean this is all theoretical right to uh, a degree i, I don't guess know. so it hasn't happened yet i'm such an idiot <laughs> <laughs> about this um but i i mean i think that's an interesting premise i i it think is, the, the thing is i like believed it. believed in this franchise and jj abrams it took me to the end of the movie to realize that i didn't like the movie <laughs> the whole time i kept being like okay all right okay yeah uh, oh and then something else is gonna happen like all the the stuff that i could have could have forgot forgiven the you know the creatures coming out of his mouth and the convulsing mm. and the like you know alien ripoff stuff if it had ended in any sort of way that that mm. was i don't know interesting or new yeah. or fresh and it, it didn't it didn't yeah no that's what i'm saying like this is just a completely generic knockoff of a million other movies mm-hmm. you know it reminds me of a uh, of life of that really boring space movie with ryan reynolds and jake gyllenhaal that came out right before uh the new alien movie mm. uh last year like they like these movies are all the same uh, and That's there's so weird. And you there's, can do anything with space. Yeah, there's so many things you could do, and yet this is what we keep coming back to: is these sort of like you know claustrophobic bottle episode type things of all these characters in a ship, and then something weird happens, and they die one by one, and then they have to figure out where the ship should go. I thought it was going in this really interesting place because people. Uh, so uh, while they're in space. 
there is a lot of tension on Earth because of this impending energy crisis. And so you kind of pick up from the news stories and from what they say that like nations are starting to war mm-hmm. and there's, you know, some posturing and some countries like I think, you know, Russia is um, suffering from the, the energy crisis. And so it's this multi-ethnic, multinational group of scientists in mm-hmm. on the space station. And at one point, tensions kind of get to be like where the, the guy from Russia, you know, starting to accuse the, the German scientist who's kind of in charge of this whole, he's the mm-hmm. one who d- does that explanation of holding off on, on making this successful because he wants to wait until Germany has a dominance over Russia right. on Earth. And so I thought that was really interesting. And then when the, as you would call, bitch in the wall shows up, <laughs> she starts planting seeds of distrust among the, amongst the crew because she has her own agenda about getting back to her own reality. Mm-hmm. as we all do um <laughs> and so she starts saying you know don't trust this person have you thought about that i've been mean, appealing to their emotions on like you know uh, your family will be okay if you do this and that and so getting them all in space and then having them all turn on each other for mm-hmm. these like really personal reasons and their own like self-interest that would have been fascinating that's where i thought it was going as well um and though no you know you just have a, a rogue hand kind of scrolling <laughs> across far, the floor stole the whole show really did uh, best best far, uh supporting hand who really goes the most ridiculous thing so one of the things that starts to happen um is that you know because of like the weird colliding particles or whatever is that surfaces start to like get a weird shimmer to them so you can kind of like a solid surface is not solid and you can kind of like just lean against it and you'll start to like move through it and there's a scene where chris o'dowd is like reaching his arm through a wall and then it like becomes solid again, and then he pulls back, and his arm is gone. It's been cut off. A lot of um, wall but, action in this movie. He, lots of wall action. All the all. It's, the magnetism, magnetism part as well. It's wi- all about the wall. The which part? The when the when the magnetism becomes oh, an God. issue. Yeah. That's the, all the like things that happen are. I feel like if this were to happen and these particles collide, mm-hmm. um, everything would be. Fucking chaos, like, you know, you'd have, like, you know, hooves, and you'd have, like, a, uh, a wrench for a mustache. Like, everything would go instantly nuts. But, maybe, like, here it's, like, all Maybe your Pinterest these... would finally come true. <laughs> I didn't learn Photoshop for nothing. <laughs> but it's, like, these weird random things that are, like, seem really insignificant. Like, all of a sudden, oh, no, like, the wall's magnetized. Like, that's really the best that's going to happen. Right. This is The this wall is, is suddenly the soft exci- for a moment. This is the most exciting thing they could think of. But... It does lead, and that is one way that the movie is definitely not a clone of other movies exactly like it, in the sense that Chris O'Dowd loses his arm, and then the arm reappears, and <laughs> appears, and, it, and is more or less a sentient arm. It is, it is like Thing from Adam's Family, <laughs> and it's just like running all over the place, and it's like giving them messages, it's writing things down, and it leads to my favorite line in the movie, which is Chris O'Dowd saying, What are you talking about, arm? <laughs> which is an actual line of dialogue in the movie that I also wrote down. Uh, and so that was, that was, I could have just watched a short film where Chris O'Dowd plays this like bumbling, like comic relief that like accidentally loses his arm in space. And it's like, Oh man. And, uh, and he, he's a delight. He is by far the reason to watch the movie. Um, there's, I would, I would say there's no reason to watch the movie, but if you're going to watch it for anything, Chris O'Dowd is very funny. And it has this incredible cast. It really does. You know, David Yellowo is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zhang Ziyi is in it um, mm-hmm. and she admirably um, speaks only Mandarin mm-hmm. and it is subtitled and although we also live in this fantasy world where all the other people somehow speak the language as well and can understand her mm, I feel like those people up there are polymaths those people listen to you bigot <laughs> uh, but... I mean astronauts <laughs> 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 but uh yeah so we have this incredible <laughs> you know those people are polymaths 
Explain your astronauts. You, you can't just ask someone why they're a polymath. <laughs> uh, That's the right word, right? Uh, yes. Oh, Daniel Bruhl uh, oh, plays right. the German. John Ortiz is in it. Uh, as mentioned before, Elizabeth Debicki plays the bitch in the wall. Credit is such on IMDb. Uh, it's it's you know it's a remarkable cast, and you know. Can you explain the whole thing of what was happening on Earth with her husband and that child? Um, you know, that was also very weird. So we have two settings here. We have um, Gugu in space, <laughs> which is a better a better title for the movie, yeah, the, the chlorophyll paradox. Um, so we have Gugu in space, and we have um, and we have in her <laughs> and we have her man back on Earth, which has been misplaced. And uh, and then he, there's just a child who shows up um, where he is that appears to maybe to maybe be from also from another dimension, another reality, and oh, is trying and it. is trying to like find its way home. So the thought, the concept, oh right, because they, because they did that whole thing with the the rift that it also had repercussions on Earth. Mm-hmm. Because the Earth that that's the, the the end of the movie is that he's telling so Gugu and um, the German scientists are the only ones that survive. Spoiler, I guess. Um, but they start their descent back to the earth that they know and love old earth, earth that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and her husband starts to tell, tell them not to send them back. Cause they don't know. They don't, they don't want to come back to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very, neither <laughs> is, cause it, we don't know. It's all very 2016 election. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to come back. Um, but it seems like on earth there has been a huge, you know, uh, I guess it's the repercussions of the, of the power that they generated, there's like fires and crashes and um, everything's. And then at the last second, you see a monster from the sea. Yeah. So I think we need to do our homework and see the first one, Jason. I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't. I mean, that's the thing is everyone says they're not connected. These movies aren't connected. I think they're going to be only, connected. They're only really loosely connected. Like they're each about, you know, some sort of like, you know, apocalyptic um, situation. I'm going to believe. I have faith. And the thing about though about the first movie is that the monster attack is happening throughout which is what makes it interesting. This is like instead of a bunch of nerds in space being like the walls are magnetized, uh, and then literally waiting until the final second of the movie to be like monster, and then like roll credits. It's like, but that was the movie, you nerds. That was the movie. This is like if Dunkirk were three movies. <laughs> like one's on land, one's in sea, and one's in the air. Um, oh shit! Because whereas and it also has a it has a Nolan timeline. It does have is, a Nolan timeline. Who knows? Yeah, which is the old the old shrug, the old head scratcher. And whereas, you know, 10 and Cloverfield Lane also wait until the very end to give you the monsters. Mm-hmm. But it had also given you a very interesting story up until that point. And some monsters. And some monsters. Uh, so that was where that one was better than this one. Um, but, well, so boy, you're oh giving boy. this a send it back? It is a send it back for me. I just felt like it was so incompetently done. Uh, it was in terms of the writing, the characters, any reason to care about what was happening. Um, you know, aside from the the weird venture into absurdist slapstick with the arm, <laughs> I did not feel any connection or interest in the movie whatsoever. Uh, I'm gonna go with consumer moderation. Really? Yeah, I still had fun. Hmm. I still had fun. Um, and the performances were great. Were they? Um, and I'm not. A... <laughs> uh, I I thought the I thought Gugu was was great. Um, she saves the day. It's not her performance, but it's uh interesting. By driving straight um, into a monster, you call that saving the day? <laughs> um, I I do. I'm still going to. <laughs> yeah, she did the best what she had. But you know, as as we mentioned, it's on Netflix. I think it's um I don't know. I think it's a good good use of time. I think it was a I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I need to watch it again. I wasn't super disappointed. 
Maybe you just really need to have some some sort of silly escapist movie to watch. And here's the thing. Just get yourself into a place where you are so <laughs> miserable all the time that any sort of delight will, will shine like the sun. Send some positive um, energy Rebecca's way, guys. <laughs> no, no. Everything's great. Um, this <laughs> You're as convincing as that movie. <laughs> my, uh, my acting is fantastic. Um, this is on Netflix now, and it's unrated, but would probably be PG-13 for violence and language. You're no Gugu. That's true. I'm not Gugu neither in space nor land. Um, but that's, sea, perhaps. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to... Um, be sure to subscribe on iTunes if you're an Apple iPhone user. On uh, Android, we have Stitcher, the SoundCloud app, um, and so many others. Check us out at thebinge.us, um, or Jason is on Twitter. Excess baggage. I am at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Goodbye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.